And now, girls and boys, another episode of Peabody's Improbable History. Hello, Peabody here. I believe every dog should have a boy. That's why I adopted Sherman. Should I set the controls to the way back, Mr. Peabody? Yes, you may set the Wayback Machine to the date, June 14th, 1946. And the place? New York City. Sherman, today, we're going to give Fred Trump a condom. goes to uh, uh, uh. you'll just have to stick around and find out I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left Cause I've been blasting and laughing so long That even my mama thinks that my mind is gone But I ain't never crossed a man that didn't deserve it Me be treated like a punk, you know that's unheard of You better watch how you're talking and where you're walking Or you and your homies might be lying to chalk I really hate the trip, but I gotta loaf As they croak, I see myself in the pistol smoke I'm the kind of cheater little homies want to be like on my knees in the night saying prayers in the street situation they got me facing i can't live a normal life i was raised by the state so i gotta be there with the hood team too much television watching got me chasing dreams i'm an educated fool with money on my mind got my tin in my hand and a gleam in my eye i'm a locked out gangster set tripping banker and my homies is down so don't arouse my anger fool death ain't nothing but a heartbeat away i'm living life do or die what can i say i'm 23 now but will i live to see 24 the way things is going i don't know
the money, money and the power, minute after minute, hour after hour, everybody's running, but half of them ain't looking, it's going on in the kitchen, but I don't know what's cooking, they say I got to learn, but nobody's here to teach me, if they can't understand it, how can they reach me, I guess they can't, I guess they won't, I guess they front, that's why I know my life is out of luck, fool. Nobel Peace Prize, one of humanity's most coveted accolades, was jointly awarded yesterday to human rights activist Ailes Balyoski, the Russian Human Rights Organization Memorial, and the Ukrainian Human Rights Organization Center for Civil Liberties. This year's announcement ranked among the most closely watched and complicated decisions made by the Nobel Committee in recent times due to Russia's ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Here's what else you need to know to get up to speed and on with your day. President Joe Biden on Thursday pardoned all federal offenses of simple marijuana possession, a move that a senior administration official said would affect thousands of Americans charged with that crime. No one should be in jail for just using or possessing marijuana, Biden said in a video announcing his executive actions. As part of the announcement, Biden encouraged governors to take similar steps to pardon with state marijuana possession charges. The announcement comes a month ahead of the critical November elections that will determine the control of Congress and as Democrats seek to rebuff allegations that they're soft on crime, an issue that has risen to the top of some voters' agendas in certain swing districts. A suspect is in custody after two people were killed and six others were wounded in a series of stabbings in front of the Las Vegas Casino on Thursday. The incident took place near the Wynn Hotel and Casino shortly before noon, police said. The 32-year-old suspect was taken into custody on two counts of open murder with a deadly weapon and six counts of attempted murder with a deadly weapon. Authorities have not shared the suspect's motive, but the stabbings appear to be unprovoked and without any altercation beforehand, police said. Sheriff Joseph Lombardo said the victims were a combination of locals and tourists, and police will provide information on them after their families have been contacted. The United States issued new sanctions on Thursday on seven senior Iranian officials over the Iranian government's violent crackdown on mass protests and restrictions on Internet access in the country. For weeks, a protest movement in Iran's capital of Tehran has gathered momentum since the death in mid-September of Maisha Amini, the 22-year-old Kirkish Iranian woman who died after being detained by the country's morality police for apparently not wearing her hijab properly. More than a 1,000 people are believed to have been detained in demonstrations. 
CNN has not been able to independently verify the number of dead and injured, but state media says 40 people have died since the start of the protest in September. Human rights group Amnesty International says at least 52 people have been killed. Justice Department officials are insisting to former President Donald Trump's attorneys that he return any outstanding documents marked as classified, making it clear that they believe that he has not returned all materials taken when he left the White House. A person familiar with the outreach told CNN. Whether the FBI rounded up all the sensitive federal records in Trump's possession during the search of his Mar-a-Lago residence is in question that loomed over the situation in recent weeks. But numerous court filings, prosecutors indicated they had concerns that classified records were possibly still missing. Justice officials, including Jay Bratt, a top lawyer in the Department of Justice's National Security Division, has communicated to Trump's attorneys that he has an ongoing obligation to return the documents marked as classified. Amazon plans to hire 150,000 new workers in the U.S., to meet the demand ahead of the busy holiday shopping season, the company said Thursday. The openings, which include full-time seasonal and part-time roles, ranging from picking and packing to sorting and shipping, while Amazon typically opens new roles each holiday season, the large hiring spree comes in the heat of a tight labor market as rising inflation continues to put more pressure on companies to raise wages. In response, Amazon said it would increase wages to $19 an hour based on position up from an average of $18 previously and provide sign-on bonuses. Some of the states with the highest number of jobs available include California, Illinois, and Texas. Today is the 8th of October, 2022. From the plush Anchor Studios, powered by Spotify, you're listening to Modern Problems, the podcast. Hello, I'm Johnny Benson. But more than 10,000 government documents and photographs without classification markings, which were retrieved by the FBI agents at Mar-a-Lago, included hundreds of photos and news articles, gifts, clothing, and books. Also included an assortment of government business and personal documents. The records apparently reviewed and sorted for privilege by an independent legal team led by the special master and put into two exhibit lists. The two lists labeled Exhibit A and Exhibit B included notes, letters, and emails and were initially posted with the unsealed August 30th report from the Justice Department. A judge ordered that the exhibit stay under seal, but the items appeared to have been inadvertently posted to the public court docket for a short time and then later removed. The first set of documents included in Exhibit A as 137 pages in total. It consisted of printed White House emails documents pertaining to ongoing Trump lawsuits, and pardon packages for more than five people identified by initials. Some entries included full names of people that ended up receiving Trump pardons, including former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. Among the apparent government records described by the filter team was an email between the White House and the National Security Council regarding the 2019 release of John Walker Lynn, an American convicted of supporting the Taliban. The log includes items with the following headers, Draft 2019 Immigration Initiative and Executive Action to Curve Illegal Immigration. There was also a document filed under Internal Analysis and packages of materials related to requests for presidential pardons and sentence commutations at the state and federal levels. One 39-page document titled The President's Calls has the following description, 35 pages, each titled The President's Calls with the Presidential Seal in the upper left-hand corner, containing handwritten names, numbers, and notes primarily appear to be messages 
including message from Rudy or blank pages with handwritten notes. Also included is an unsigned June 2017 letter from one of Trump's law firms to the former special counsel Robert Mueller. Contents of a folder marked NARA letters, an acronym for the National Archives and Records Administration, and emails to the White House account regarding a post-election legal action. The second list, Exhibit B, contains documents that the legal review team determined were not relevant to the ongoing search and could be returned to Trump. The list contains a medical letter from Dr. Harold N. Bornstein, dated 9-13-2016, and various legal documents pertaining to ongoing Trump legal disputes, including items related to Trump's suits with Mary Trump and writer E. Jean Carroll. The documents were flagged as non-responsive to the inquiry, had IRS forms and other tax-related documents, invoices for legal work and lawyer-retainer contracts, a settlement between Trump Golf Entity and the PGA Tour, an agreement involving a post-president media group, communication about Trump's resignation from the Screen Actors Guild, and a non-disclosure agreement, and contract related to Trump's Save America Political Action Committee. While many of these documents were determined not to be relevant to the ongoing investigation within the Department of Justice, these items and their relationship or lack of relationship to each other could be telling. Trump appeared to never had kept a single piece of paper on his desk in the Oval Office during his presidency. Clearly, his personal business and government files were commingled. While this would not be a big deal for most people, who were in the process quickly packing up a lot of documents for a move, it is stunningly disorganized display for a former president of the United States. Were the president records commingled during Trump's presidency and possible violation of the law? Who was in charge of keeping the records organized? And who had access to these documents while Trump was in the White House? Why did Trump collect and sort important documents in such a way that it looks like a burglar was trying to take as many things as possible, not knowing what they might find valuable, and then stash them away without anyone truly understanding their importance? Is this just one more proof that Trump never intended to vacate the White House and was forced to do so quickly? Was there no one overseeing this process? While some of the items that have been listed on these exhibits are interesting because they were clearly in circulation with other documents that should have been afforded more protection. The way in which these documents were all commingled and intentionally hoarded is possible the most interesting aspect, given the propensity for Trumps to amass such a disheveled collection of documents, many of which he had no legal right to keep. A more extensive search of Trump and his properties might be warranted and legally justified. The way in which records were kept only leaves us with more pressing questions. Did Donald Trump always keep the records like this in the White House? Who was in charge of overseeing these records and comporting with basic standards of the law? This may be Trump's personal standard for organization, but why did no one else in the White House remedy this poor record-keeping situation? Are all the records in Trump's possession rightfully his? Is there any basis to issue a warrant of all of his property, to sift through everything as the Department of Justice has done with just these few boxes? So many questions. Within minutes of stepping off the ellipse stage, Donald Trump knew about the violent attack on the Capitol. From the comfort of his dining room, he watched on TV as the attack escalated. <clears throat> he sent tweets that inflamed and expressed support
the desire of some to literally kill Vice President Mike Pence. For three hours, he refused to call off the attack. <clears throat> Donald Trump refused to take the urgent advice he received that day. Not from his political opponents or from the liberal media, but from his own family, his own friends, his own staff, and his own advisors. In the midst of an attack, when there was no time for politics, the people closest to Trump told him the truth. It was his supporters attacking the Capitol, and he alone could get through to them. So they pled for him to act, to place his country above himself. Still, he refused to lead and to meet the moment to honor his oath. It was only once the vice president and the members of Congress were in secure locations and the officers defending the Capitol began to turn the tide that then President Trump engaged in the political theater of telling the mob to go home. And even then, he told them all they were special and that he loved them. Whatever your politics, whatever you think about the outcome of the election, we as Americans must all agree on this. Donald Trump's conduct on January 6th was a supreme violation of his oath of office and a complete dereliction of his duty to our nation. It is a stain on our history. It is a dishonor to all those who have sacrificed and died in service of our democracy. When we present our full findings, we will recommend changes to laws and policies to guard against another January 6th. The reason that's imperative is that the forces Donald Trump ignited that day have not gone away. The militant, intolerant ideologies, the militias, the alienation and the disaffection, the weird fantasies and disinformation. They're all still out there, ready to go. That's the elephant in the room. But if January 6th has reminded us of anything, I pray it has reminded us of this. Laws are just words on paper. They mean nothing without public servants dedicated to the rule of law and who are held accountable by a public that believes oath matters, oaths matter more than party tribalism or the cheap thrill of scoring political points. We, the people, must demand more of our politicians and ourselves. Oaths matter. Character matters. Truth matters. The New York Times profiled the struggles of Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes' Senate campaign on Thursday with one supporter bluntly telling the newspaper, they're losing. Tom Nelson, a former opponent of Barnes in the Democratic primary, told the Times the campaign needs to fire its media consultant and added they're losing against what Times writer Reed J. Epstein called remarkably effective Republican ads. Epstein also noted retired businesswoman Jane Kashnig approached Barnes at a dinner, confronting him with a list of grievances against his campaign, including his inability to repel attacks hurled at him by Republican Senator Ron Johnson's campaign and his GOP allies. Epstein credited the recent advertising blitz from Republicans for Barnes' recent slip, 
stressing that Democrats fear that he could cause the party to lose its control of the U.S. Senate. The Wisconsin race is a prime pickup opportunity for Democrats trying to hold on to their majority as President Biden narrowly won the state in 2020. Barnes' progressive ideas led Republicans to capitalize on the rhetoric and gain ground in the key battleground state. Though Barnes held the edge over Johnson for some time, key issues have distracted from that lead, including alleged disdain for law enforcement, despite his own reassurance to the Wall Street Journal in January that he does not support the defund the police movement. The hail of attack ads from Mr. Johnson and an allied super PAC have tanked Mr. Barnes' standing, particularly among the state's finicky independent voters, Epstein wrote. The article accuses Republicans of capitalizing on race and the television assault on Barnes, alleging that adverts darkened Mr. Barnes' skin while others superimposed his name next to images of crime scenes. Those overturns come to no surprise to Wisconsin Democrats. He's only the third black statewide official in Wisconsin's history. The first two both lost re-election in campaigns widely regarded as racist, Epstein wrote. And Democratic strategists and voters are well aware fighting back aggressively has its dangers, he added. Dane County Democratic Party Chair Alexa Saber is quoted as saying, The perception in Wisconsin changes swiftly. It's easy to go from fired up for change to an angry black guy from Milwaukee in the public perception, she said, according to the Times. President of the United States, you know, and, and I do fear for this next election cycle because who knows what that might bring. If, if a president that's willing to try to instill and, and, and encourage to whip up a civil war amongst his followers using lies and deceit and snake oil and regardless of the, the human impact, what else is he going to do if he gets elected again? All bets are off at that point. Um, and that's a scary notion. I have three daughters. I have a granddaughter. And I fear for the world that they will inherit if we do not start holding the, these, these people to account. You just heard from Jason Van Chatenhove former Oath Keeper. Hey, it's Ari from the news with some breaking news. A Proud Boys member, Jeremy Bertino, has just pled guilty to seditious conspiracy in the Jan 6 insurrection. That's a huge deal because it strengthens the Justice Department case. They're going at two militias, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, whose leader is currently on trial for seditious conspiracy as well. So the guilty plea, the conviction is a big deal. This Proud Boys member, Jeremy Bertino, now is pledging full cooperation, which means he will be testifying against the other people also accused of seditious conspiracy. It's a big victory for the Justice Department. It's also a reminder that when you hear people debate the insurrection, how bad was it, did it happen? Well, now you have the confirmation and the legal conviction of how bad it was, a conspiracy to overthrow the government by the people involved. Report that came out to CNN and says, Republicans call Biden infrastructure program socialism. And then they ask for the money. And it goes through all the Republicans, who, the most conservative Republicans who call it socialism and how they're asking for it. A guy named Paul Gosser, he's written three separate letters to the administration asking for projects in his district. He says it enhanced the quality of life, that ease congestion, boosts the economy. 
voted against it says it's all socialism. Go down the list. Kentucky Representative Andy Barr, the biggest socialist agenda. Three different projects he wants, studying the importance of safety and growth of his district. Rand Paul, I go down the list, look it up. Socialism. I didn't know there were that many socialist Republicans. Listen to Rick Scott and what he has to say about Social Security. He's the Republican from Florida. Medicare goes bankrupt in four years. Social Security goes bankrupt in 12 years. Hear that? You're going to lose your Medicare in four years, especially if you keep voting for people like him who want to cut the tax base that Medicare is drawn off of. And Social Security going bankrupt in 12 years? Yeah, that shouldn't be happening either because Social Security is self-funded. It's like they pull it right out of our paycheck. It goes into that fund. Nobody's supposed to touch it. Uh, and then it's supposed to fund, you know, checks going out to everybody over the current age. I can't remember what it is. Here's the thing. If you cut people's wages continuously or fail to raise them, you fail to raise the tax base that Social Security draws off of. And then when we have Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos who don't take a paycheck, they don't pay Social Security tax. And also, Social Security goes away after you make, I think it's $117,000. You don't have to pay in anymore. You want to help fund Social Security, raise that number and make Elon and Jeff and the other rich bastards, you know, pay into the system that they're taking advantage of. My name is Shauna. My daughter, Ellie, is a patient at St. Jude. You know, when we got here, she says, Mom, I don't want to be a cancer person. So I just sat there and healed her and just told her it was going to be okay. St. Jude is leading the way the world understands, treats, and defeats childhood cancer and other life-threatening diseases. Thanks to your support, St. Jude can focus on treatment and research. St. Jude creates more clinical trials for cancer than any other children's hospital and turns laboratory discoveries into life-saving treatments to benefit patients. St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. What is your passion? Cooking, photography, sports? Whatever it is, the easiest way to tell us is by starting a podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. being native, I'd love to find me a nice brown, long, braided, indigenous man. Keep that blood strong. But there'll always be that one white boy. I buy a food truck, I park it next to Chick-fil-A, and sell chicken sandwiches on Sundays. I'll call it Side Chick. <laughs> He's the manager of an inner public, unlike our president, knows where he is. Oh, my God. Look, I'm not going to blame the average American for not knowing what a banana republic is. you got to be kind of a nerd to use that phrase regularly. I am, however, going to blame a literal politician who thinks that when people talk about banana republics, they're talking about the clothing store. It wasn't a raid. It was just a normal FBI tourist. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good joke. It's a great joke. But I need you to stop anyway. You'll have fun and you might learn something. Modern Problems. A podcast. With me. Modern Problems. 
case anyone forgets what we're voting against this November, access to contraceptives is on the table. H.R. 8373, Democrats voted 220 yay. The Republicans voted 194 nay. 194 Republicans voted against your right to go into Walgreens Uh and buy a condom. Boner alert. Okay, now what the hell am I supposed to do with this? Stay in bed The feeling of your skin Locked in my head Smoke, smoke me broke I don't care I'm down for what you want
welcome you to the big beat in popular music in America. And here's the king of rock and roll himself, Alan Freed. Thank you, Bern Bennett, and welcome to our camel rock and roll dance parties. Right now, we'd like to tell you a little musical story about a young group called the Teenagers. And a story is uh, a pretty important one, especially to the youth of our country. They want to learn how to become hit stars overnight. Little Frankie Lyman, 13 years old, wrote the song and recorded it with his own vocal group called The Teenagers, heading for the million mark in sales. Here they are in person on our rock and roll dance party to sing Why Do Fools Fall in Love?
marathon with money in the music. Friday, my attitude is showing. Jojo cooking here on Q106. Write the song down. Word up. This will get you $106 if you count to win on the Q. That air personality chatter that you always hear. The boss really hates it when we go on and on and on and on and on. This is the program director. You're under arrest. Oh, there he comes now. Power 97.5 KMZ, the real Johnny Stevens, and I have a pair of real tickets to Slammers to see Ace Freely. Two of them up for grabs to the seventh caller. Call me now. And good luck. Power 97.5 KMZ with the real Johnny Stevens. Congratulations going out to Angela DeHaven of Carneysville. She's a big winner. She's going to Slammers. That's March 3rd to see Ace Fraley. Oh, it's going to be a good show. Doors open at 8 o'clock, $10 in advance, $12 at the door. Must be 18 to get in. Angela, does anyone mind that we talk this way on the radio? Yeah, my boyfriend. Ooh, he must be some kind of lover. Power 97.5 KMZ. You and me, two hearts. It's 25 minutes from the six. The real Johnny Stevens. That was some pretty damn good radio right there. The kind of radio you probably won't hear on the air ever again. And that's a shame. President Bill Clinton signed the Telecommunications Act of 1996, claiming that it would prevent a monopoly. Today, our world is being remade yet again by an information revolution, changing the way we work, the way we live, the way we relate to each other. Already, the revolution is so profound that it is changing the dominant economic model of the age, and already, Thanks to the scientific and entrepreneurial genius of American workers in this country, it has created vast, vast opportunities for us to grow and learn and enrich ourselves in body and in spirit. But this revolution has been held back by outdated laws designed for a time when there was one phone company, three TV networks, no such thing as a personal computer. Today, with the stroke of a pen, our laws will catch up with our future. 
We will help to create an open marketplace where competition and innovation can move as quick as light. An industry that is already one-sixth of our entire economy will thrive. It will create opportunity, many more high-wage jobs, and better lives for all Americans. Soon, working parents will be able to check up on their children in class via computer. Families head off, heading off on vacation trips will be able to program the fastest route in their car computers, thanks to the work the Department of Transportation is now doing. On a rainy Saturday night, you'll be able to order up every movie ever produced or every symphony ever created in a minute's time. For those of us who like to watch too many movies and listen to too much music in a single sitting, that may be a mixed blessing. This law also recognizes that with freedom comes responsibility. Any truly competitive market requires rules. This bill protects consumers against monopolies. It guarantees the diversity of voices our democracy depends upon. It actually created one. Lester Lowry Mays was interviewed by the Wall Street Journal, and this is what he had to say. We're not in the business of providing news and information. We're not in the business of providing well-researched music. We're simply in the business of selling our company's products. The old ways of doing business are now falling by the wayside. We're no longer mandated to maximize the public interest. We're no longer coerced to encourage diversity. We have now adapted the practices that will speed up the homogenization of the airways. Just in case you were wondering who Lester Lowry Mays is, he's the CEO of Clear Channel, or at least he was. Lester Lowry Mays took advantage of the Telecommunications Act of 1996 because radio stations were no longer limited to the number a individual or a corporation could own. So now they own seven, eight, nine in a market. The programming's no longer live and local. It's generated from a central location. That's right. The DJ that you hear on the air may not even be in the studio. 10,000 radio jobs have been lost due to the consolidation of radio. But in addition to those loss of jobs, there's also a loss of voice, a loss of diversity. You see, part of controlling the American public is being able to control what they listen to, what they watch. That's why CNN was recently purchased by a right-wing rich entrepreneur. They want to control what you're able to view. You know whose voices weren't taken off the air? Rush Limbaugh, Dr. Laura, and Glenn Beck, just to name a few. You wonder why our country is so divided? It's not always about what you do listen to. Sometimes it's about what you're no longer able to listen to. Republicans want to control the narrative. They want to control media. They want to control what you're able to listen to. Fox News went from Republican propaganda to Trump propaganda to Russian propaganda so smoothly, its viewers think anti-American is now pro-American. The Fairness Doctrine established in 1949 by the FCC to maintain truth in journalism was removed by Reagan. And we need that back. Fox News is the most diversive, dishonest, and damaging institution in the United States. It has poisoned our democracy with conspiracy theories and lies while stroking division and fear. So you're probably wondering why I'm bringing this up now. Why I'm discussing the need for Republicans to control the narrative, to control what you see on television, to control what you hear on the radio, 
to control what you see on social media. I tried to log on to Twitter the other day and my account is permanently suspended. And this is the message that I received upon logging on. After careful review, we've determined your account broke the Twitter rules. Your account is permanently in a read only mode, which means you can't tweet, you can't retweet, or you can't like content. You won't be able to create new accounts. If you think we got this wrong, you can submit an appeal, which I did. And I have not heard back from them. And they have not cited to me what Twitter rule that I actually broke. You see, I'm a liberal voice or a conservative platform. And someone wanted to shut me up. So they reported me to Twitter and Twitter without any explanation of why or what rule I broke suspended my account. So what do I do now? I tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to start my own knockoff of Twitter like President Trump did when he was kicked off Twitter. I'm, I'm not going to do a damn thing. Life goes on. I'm 60 years old. I had a life before Twitter. And believe it or not, I can sleep just fine not having Twitter. The richest wealth is wisdom. The strongest weapon is patience. The best security is faith. The most effective tonic is laughter. May God bless you with all of them today and for always. That's Modern Problems, the podcast. Until next time, this is Johnny Benson telling you to keep smiling. When you're smiling When you're smiling The whole world smiles with you When you're laughing Oh, when you're laughing The sun comes shining through But when you're crying You bring on the rain So stop your sighing Be happy again Keep on smiling Cause when you're smiling The whole world smiles with you
Mom. 